You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. As you can see from the clip we've just shown, the theme for today is grappling with the pain that comes with the brokenness of the world. And it comes from uh, the gospel text, which we'll read in just a moment. And I think the key line from, from the clip you just saw is about misreading the mystery. I think this is what we're called back to again and again is a way of hearing it again. And we don't, we often get ourselves in situations where we think we know what's happening when we don't really know what's happening. Um, just the other day I was up at school at Southeastern and my daughter Zoe was with me and I had gone to class and she stayed back to work to do some schoolwork. And when I came back she told me this story that while she was sitting there working someone came up to her and started a conversation and at some point in the conversation, he asked her, what year are you in? Now, my daughter is 14. She's finishing up eighth grade. But she's at, she's at Southeastern at the college. And that question makes all the sense in the world, but not to her, right? So she looked at him and said, what do you mean, what year am I in? He said, what year are you in? I don't know what you mean. What year are you in? 2019? <laughs> She comes by it honestly. A few years ago, in fact, I guess quite a while ago, uh, her mother, my wife, was with her cousin driving. And it was, it, it was dark and, and foggy, and they noticed this airplane getting closer and closer and closer to them as they drive, kind of intersecting with them. And they start to get frightened because it's getting really close, like really close to them. And then they get almost up to it and one of uh, my Julie's cousin Christy says to her and look it has this like long metal beam hanging from it and then they realized it was a street light that they were driving under <laughs> right? so we don't always know what we're seeing when we think we're seeing it and we don't always know what's being said when we think we know what's being said and this gospel text is like that. Uh, on, on the face of it, it, it seems to be saying things that I don't think it's... It's crucial, I think, to remember. We won't read it for now, but in the previous chapter, Jesus has been talking about discernment and about the Pharisees' inability to discern what's actually happening and the need to be able to make good judgments. And then right in the middle of that, they raise these two stories for him. So 13 opens this way. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. 
So on, on the face of it, this seems to be a story about evil and the ways in which it punishes sin. And Jesus seems to be saying, you think that those people suffered because they were worse sinners, but the truth is, you're all sinners and you're all going to suffer in the same way. But that can't, that can't be what he in fact means, as, as we'll see. And he immediately tells them a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And the gardener replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Let's pray and then we'll reflect on these scriptures together. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the ways that you open up this time for us, this room for us, to be together and to be with you. I pray that you empower us to hear what you're saying and to read the mystery a little more faithfully to hear what it is that you're saying to us, to see what it is that is in fact in front of us so that we can understand how better to live faithfully and lovingly and hopefully. We pray this in Christ. Amen. This story raises for us the, the problem of evil. The problem of evil, as, as you know it, and as it was stated in, in the clip that we watched earlier, is simply how can a, a, an all-loving God who is also all-knowing and all-powerful, allow evil to take place in the world. If he is all-knowing, he knows what will happen. If he's all-powerful, he can change what happens. And if he's all-loving, he wants good to happen. And so why would evil ever take place? He could stop it if he wanted to. He knows what to do. And he wants to stop it if he's loving. And, And yet, he clearly doesn't. And in the middle of this conversation about discernment, Jesus, someone in the crowd says to Jesus, what about those who were slaughtered by Pilate? And they refer to a story in which Galileans who had come up to Jerusalem to make their offering are, while they're making their offering, for whatever reason, we don't know why, they're slaughtered. Pilate has his soldiers cut them down and their blood is mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. And Jesus, in response, simply says, What do you think that means? Do you think that that means something about their sinfulness? Do you think that reveals something about their condition before God? That somehow the judgment that came against them was something they deserved because of their sin? He says, not at all. And the same is true of those who were killed by the tower that fell. And he killed 18 of them. He says, tells you nothing about their their life before God. Tells you nothing about their sinfulness or sinlessness. And then he says, and... If you don't repent, the same thing will happen to you. And on the face of it, as I said, that seems like a threat. It seems as if Jesus is saying, you think that they were killed because they were more sinful, not at all. You're going to be killed in the same way, unless you repent. But obviously, this is not what Jesus means. And I'm surprised someone didn't call him on it in the moment. Like, so if we repent, you're saying we won't die? Well, not exactly. So you're saying if we repent, we, might, we won't die in an accident? Well, not exactly. I mean, we, we've seen that there are many of those. I mean, for two millennia now, people have been turning to Jesus, repenting of their sins. And guess what happens to all of those people? 
they die. And guess what happens to many of those people? They die in tragic ways. So whatever Jesus is saying here, it can't be that if you'll repent, then you won't have happened to you what happened to those people. The entire point of these stories, the story of those whose blood is mingled with their sacrifices and the story of those upon whom the tower falls, is that evil happens to everybody, just or unjust. You know, there's the passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says that God is merciful to everyone. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. He causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. But it's equally true that God allows the storms to come to the righteous and the unrighteous. Being a believer, being a follower of Christ, does not protect you from the brokenness of the world. In fact, if anything, it opens you up to it. Christians do not suffer less than everyone else. They suffer at at least as much, if not more than everyone else, because they're called to live in the middle of that brokenness with their eyes open, with their arms open, with their hearts open. So there's nothing about following Jesus that's going to protect you from Pilate or towers that fall. Following Jesus is not going to get you out of life alive. We're all going to die. Some of us in very painful ways, some of us in very tragic ways, some of us much sooner than we should die. All of us, regardless though, all of us are going to die, and our children are going to die, and our grandchildren are going to die. There is no way out of this life alive, and Jesus doesn't promise us that. Evil happens to just and unjust alike, all kinds of evil. I mean, Jesus is naming two different kinds of evil here. There's the evil of Pilate, a corrupt ruler, killing the Galileans. And that's the evil that we do to each other, the ways in which we prey on each other and abuse each other and manipulate each other. And then there's the evil that just happens because the world itself is also broken, the tower that falls on these people and kills them. So we do violence to one another and violence happens to us. Tornadoes, hurricanes, famines, diseases, all kinds of ways in which this world is broken and corrupted by evil We do evil and evil is done to us. In fact, evil is done to us before we do evil to anyone else. That's just some of what it means to be human. It happens and we have to be truthful about that. We have to be the kind of people who can, in honesty and truthfulness, just say evil happens to us. And being in Christ doesn't protect you from the world. It sets you in the midst of the world. And that means we also have to acknowledge that God allows evil to happen. We don't know why he does. We don't know what his purpose is. We don't know why evil is allowed to wreak its havoc on our lives. But it is clearly true that God allows it. Our hope is that he won't always allow it. That there is coming an end to history, an end to all things. And in that end of all things, God is going to deal with evil. And God is not going to deal just with evildoers. He's going to deal with evil itself. And everything evil that has happened will have to answer to God. Everything evil that we've done, we will have to answer for. But every evil that we've done, it will also be dealt with. In the end of everything, what we call the last judgment, the the time in which God addresses all that has happened in the world, It's not just that God is exposing what we've done. God is acting on what we've done. In the end, wrongs are going to be made right. In the end, everybody that I've wronged, I will have to face. And everybody who's wronged me will have to face me. And in only only the way that God could work 
those wrongs will be made right. But in the meantime, between now and then, God allows evil to happen. And we have to be people of hope. I think a lot of times we're people who've been taught to have faith but no hope. You're expecting God to heal, heal you every time you're sick. You're expecting God to protect you from every possible evil. And it won't happen. It isn't going to happen. Even in those cases where God does act miraculously, Lazarus is raised from the dead. Guess what? As soon as he's raised from the dead, as soon as they get the grave clothes off of him, he's dying again. And Mary and Martha have to weep Lazarus' death two times. Not just the time in which Jesus raises him from the dead, but again. And the same is true for all of us. No matter what God protects us from, or seems to protect us from, more evil is coming. And we're not going to escape it. God allows it to happen for reasons we can't explain. He won't always allow it. He's bringing it into it. But in the meantime, we have to admit that it happens, and it happens because God allows it to happen. And in the middle of all that, and, and against the grain of all that, we have to keep saying, and yet God is good. This is why, you know, the, the call and response, God is good all the time, God is good. That's not a statement of our experience. That's a statement of our confidence in a God who will change our experience. We don't all experience the goodness of God all the time. I mean, if we say that we are, you live a very charmed life or you've deceived yourself. Because all of us experience ways in which it doesn't seem like the goodness of God is coming to bear for us. And even if it's not happening in your life right now, think about what's happening around the globe. There are plenty of people who cannot see the goodness of God. I believe the goodness of God is there, but they can't see it. They're not experiencing it. They don't feel it. They're not comforted by it. And so we have to be ready and willing to be honest to say, evil happens to just and unjust, and God allows it, and yet God is good. That's our defiant cry. In the face of everything that goes wrong, God is good. Because there's coming a day when the goodness of God will be revealed and he will deal with this evil. But in the meantime, as we wait on that end, as we wait on the last judgment in which God destroys evil once for all and sets all wrongs right and restores this entire world to what he purposed it to be, until then, we have to recognize that God does not do evil, even though he allows it. This is absolutely crucial for those of us who are people of faith. God does not do evil. He does not even use evil, not even to punish sin. There's an old idea, and it shows up in Christian preaching and teaching everywhere, that God uses evil to punish evildoers. But that is not true. I mean, Jesus' point here in this parable is that what you think happened there, Pilate slaughtering these people at the sacrifice or the tower falling on them as they're drawing water, that wasn't God's judgment on those people. That's just the brokenness of the world taking place. God wasn't punishing them for their sins. That's just the way in which evil has fractured reality. And because evil has corrupted everything, these kinds of evils take place. Because evil is at work in the world, there are people like Pilate who do things like slaughter people at the sacrifice. And there are catastrophes like this tower falling. That's not God acting to punish sinners. God does not have to do evil to punish evil. God does not use evil against evil. Jesus tells the Pharisees this in, in all kinds of ways. But one of them is, do you think I cast out the devil by the devil? 
Of course not. I don't use evil to drive out evil. And this is a warning to all of us. We as Christians can't use evil to resist evil. This is not what we're called to do. This is why at the heart of Jesus' teaching is don't resist evil with evil. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Love those who abuse you. Right? Forgive those who wronged you. Don't resist evil with evil. Resist evil with good. God does not do evil. God does not use evil, even though he allows it. So there's nothing evil that's happening in the world that is God's doing. This is absolutely essential that we, that we see this. If there's evil happening, God may be allowing it for reasons we don't understand, but he's not doing it. He's not using it. He can make good out of evil, but not by using it, by un- overcoming it, by subverting it, by altering it. He can make good out of anything. He can make good out of nothing, or he can make good out of evil, but he's not using evil. He's not doing evil. He's calling us to turn away from evil, to join him in resisting evil. And this is what I think Jesus is saying to his audience in this passage. He's talking about the tower falling and Pilate slaughtering the the Galileans who are making their sacrifice. And he says, this same thing will happen to you unless you repent. Now again, he can't be saying that if you repent, these kinds of things won't happen to you. They do. It happens to Jesus. I mean, think about it. How does Jesus' life end? Pilate sheds his blood while Jesus is making his sacrifice. Jesus is not saying, repent and these kinds of things won't happen to you. He's saying, repent and you can join me in resisting these kinds of things and experiencing these kinds of things in ways that subvert them. Jesus shows us that even though he is killed by the the justly established rulers of his time, by Pilate and Caiaphas and Herod, even though he is condemned to death, what Jesus exposes in the midst of all that is that that is evil. Jesus does not die because God is punishing him. Jesus is God's reaction against evil. Jesus is God's righteousness destroying evil. And so what Jesus is inviting us to do is resist evil with him. God is not doing evil. God is fighting evil, and he's calling us to join him in fighting evil. Wherever we see injustice of any kind, we're called to collaborate with God in resisting it, in fighting it. And to do that, we have to repent, meaning we've got to change the way we see the world. The problem here in this, in this story is that these people think they know what's happening in the world. They think they can look at what's happening and discern what God is doing. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it works. God is not punishing these sinners. This is the brokenness of the world. You're called to resist that. Not to step back and accept it as if God is doing it. This is one of the ways in which Christians fail to respond over and over again. For the last few weeks, I've been reading about the story of, of Christians in, in Germany and the rise of Nazism. And one of the things that's striking, shocking, sickening about it is that virtually no one in a country that was overwhelmingly Christian, virtually no one did anything to resist in any way. I mean, you can count on one hand the people or groups that did anything to resist. And over and over and over and over again, you hear stories about German Christians. And we're not just talking about um, those who were of 
questionable orthodoxy or the quote-unquote liberals of their time, right across the spectrum, Protestants and Catholics, conservative and liberal, all of them were caught up in the spirit of the time with, again, almost no exceptions. And even the few exceptions that you have, the, the exceptions are people who are one-sided. So, for instance, there are some Christians in Germany who will stand up for Jews who have become Christians. But with only a couple of people standing outside of it that we know about, no one stood up for Jews as Jews. If Jews became Christians, they would defend them. Some would. But if Jews remained Jews, they would not. Even the confessing church, which is the church that we look back on as being the most resistant to Nazism, when they published their statement about why they thought what Hitler was doing was evil, or, or prepared a statement for it, they, they in it acknowledged that the Jews as a whole are wicked and have turned away from God. Even the confessing church says that. And before that gets published, they submit to having their document rewritten. And what's actually published in Germany is a very watered-down version that doesn't actually challenge evil at all. And again, those are the people we think of as being most resistant. Christians everywhere are called to resist evil, but to do that, we have to see the world differently. We can't see the world the way everybody else does. We can't get caught up in a social group or a political movement and see things the way everybody else is seeing things. Because if we do, we will be carried along just like they are into some kind of evil. The only way that we can resist evil the way God wants us to resist evil is if we keep seeing the world differently. Is if we just we don't see what others see. Like Jesus, we see reality differently. John 9 is the story of a man born blind. It's a very similar story to the one we read today. Jesus comes up on this blind man, and the disciples ask, Who sinned, this man or his parents? And they're, they're, they're assuming, right? This man is blind, therefore he somehow sinned or his parents sinned. And Jesus, again, dismisses that idea. And he says, No, this man didn't sin. Neither did his parents. But this man's sickness, this man's blindness, will turn to the glory of God. Now, he's not saying that God made this man blind so that he could later heal him and get the glory for it. How sick would that be? What he's saying is evil has happened to this man. This man was born blind and has suffered blindness all of his life. But that's not going to be the end of the story. We're going to resist this. And he heals the man. Because Jesus sees the world differently. We have to see the world differently. Whatever issue is facing us, we have to see it differently. Whatever we, we think politically, socially, culturally, economically, however we imagine the world, we have to see it differently. We have to see it through the lens of the cross. We have to see it through the lens of a man who overcomes Pilate and Pilate's evil by letting Pilate kill him. Last week's gospel reading was the story of Jesus calling Herod a fox, which I love. I love that story. Because it's a way of, of knocking Herod down a few notches. In, in Jesus' world, when you called someone a fox, what you were saying is they're not a lion. Because there was a contrast between lions and foxes. Lions were the truly great ones. Foxes were the ones who wanted to be great. So when Jesus says Herod is a fox, he's, he's insulting him in a clever way. But then Jesus immediately goes on to speak about Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I like a hen 
tried to gather you under my wings. And this captures the heart of Jesus' way of seeing the world differently. The fox and the hen. Herod is the fox. Pilate is the fox. Hitler is the fox. And Jesus is a hen. We know how that story goes. When the hen protects the chicks from the fox, the fox kills the hen more times than not. And Jesus lets it happen to him. But you can't resist evil with evil. We're called to be, as Jesus will say to his disciples, like sheep among wolves. We're called to live in the world as hens among foxes. And that means that many times Christians will suffer because the fox will kill the hen. But we believe in a God who raises the dead. And we believe in a God who's able to change the nature of the fox by raising the hen. And showing in the death of the hen and the resurrection of the hen that the way of the fox is a way that's meaningless. It leads to nothing. And we have to be those kinds of people. We have to be hens, gathering as many people as we can under our wings, protecting as many people as we can, and fighting the fox without ever becoming like the fox. We can't overcome evil with evil. We have to come overcome evil with good. The only way to defeat our enemy, the only way to resist evil, is to live God's goodness in the world. And that brings us to these this parable and the, and the healing that comes right after it. I'm almost done. So Jesus makes it clear that these deaths are not God's judgment and calls them to join him in resisting evil, to live like the hen, to let their blood be spilled like his will be spilled. And then he tells this parable about a man who has a vineyard, and in the vineyard is a fig tree, and a fig tree that hasn't produced figs. And the owner comes to the fig tree and says to his gardener, this tree just isn't producing fruit, cut it down. And the gardener says, not so fast. Not so fast. Let's give it another year. Let me work on it. Let me put some manure on it. Let me find, let me water it. Let me find a way to work with it. And there's a history of reading this passage that sees the owner as God and the gardener as Jesus. That the owner, God, wants to get rid of this tree and we're the tree, right? We're, we're the people who aren't producing fruit. And God the Father is ready to cut us down. But thankfully, Jesus steps in. But that can't be right. Because God the Father and God the Son are not against each other. and They're not at odds with each other. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I and the Father are one. In Jesus, the fullness of God is taking place, is happening in the world. So this cannot be a story about God the Father wanting to cut us down and Jesus stepping in. Jesus is not the older brother in in the family of an alcoholic father. He's not stepping in between an angry father and us to protect us from God. He is God loving us. So this is not that story. This is a story about the way in which the world will cut you down. And Jesus steps in and says, not so fast. Yes, these people are wicked. Yes, these people are broken. Yes, these people are fruitless. But I'm not done having mercy on them. 
Part of what it means to join with God in resisting evil is to learn to see everybody around us, dead, lifeless trees, as trees that can have life if we just keep having mercy on them. All around you all the time, in your family, at work with you, in your friendships, you're going to encounter lifeless trees, trees that have no fruit. And your responsibility is to make sure they don't get cut down. Just keep saying, no, let me work on them. In fact, most of the time, I think we're the manure that God puts on those trees so that they will bring life. That's who you are in people's lives. That's who I am in people's lives, right? God is breaking in to say, no, I'm going to save them. And the way I'm going to save them is I'm going to make them live with you. How many people have you driven to prayer? You might have saved so many people just by driving them to prayer because they've got to deal with you. I know that's happened with me. That's the primary way in which I'm shaping my children into believers is, dear God, don't let me be like dad, right? But that's what we do. We just keep stepping in and saying no. One of my favorite stories about the Desert Fathers is a story about uh, an Abba, a leader of a community of monks in the desert, who is confronted by the brothers who come together in accusation against one of, the, one of the members, and they say he's committed this sin. It's not in the story, we don't know what it is, but some sin that is beyond the pale, and they say we have to get him out of the community. We have to, we have to excommunicate him. And all the brothers, except for the one who sinned, insist upon it. And so they come together, they have the moment of judgment, and the Abba pronounces the judgment and says to the young man, you are excommunicated. And the man starts to walk out of the circle, walk out into the desert. And then the Abba turns to the rest of the brothers and says, I'm going with him. He pronounced the judgment they asked for, and then he submitted to it himself. That's what it looks like to keep saying, no, don't cut the tree down. And we're not telling God not to cut the tree down. We're resisting the way of the world. God is, is the one who wants to bring life to the tree. God is the one who's giving us to the tree in order to bring it to life. We're joining with him to resist the way of the world. To say to the people who are in power, don't think of these people this way. So that when people in power start to talk about the poor or the diseased. You know, I I just saw um, the other day on the news about how in, in, in many places in Europe, Down syndrome kids are aborted at nearly 100% rate. I think it was in Iceland, it was 100%. Part of stepping in and not letting the tree cut down, be cut down is saying no to that. We're not going to let Down syndrome children are ours. We're going to be a hen. We're going to gather them under our wings. You can't cut these children down. And whatever your politics may be, our Christian instincts has to be, when we're talking about families at the border, whatever we have to do, however we're going to sort out the political differences, those people are people of God. They're trees that can't be cut down. And we have to find a way, with all of our political differences, we have to find a way to show Christ to those people and to be Christ to those people. I won't give too many more examples because I'd lose everybody. But here's the thing. We're called 
to be Christ in the world and to resist evil wherever we see it happening. There's a story John McCain tells about being a prisoner of war. This story haunts me. He told this when I heard it first. It was when he was running for president and he shared it in one of the debates about being a prisoner of war and having a soldier, an enemy soldier, who was guarding him, come up to him one day and with the butt of his rifle make a cross in the dirt and gesture toward the cross as a way of indicating that he was a Christian too. And what haunts me about this story is here are two men, two Christians, who aren't able to be Christ to each other because they have other allegiances that have trumped their following of Jesus. And here's a, here's a soldier who has a prisoner and he knows that this prisoner should not be being treated this way. He has enough of Christ alive in him to want to say something to the prisoner about it, but he doesn't have enough of Christ in him to do something about it. And that's exactly what we see in Nazi Germany. We see Christians with enough of the life of God in them to move toward saying something to resist it, but never quite going far enough. Let's not be those people. Whatever injustice we see happening in the world, God is not doing it. We need to join God in resisting it. And just after Jesus tells this, he comes into a synagogue and he sees a woman who's been over, oppressed by a spirit for 18 years. And Jesus says, woman, you are loosed. That's who we are. We're people who every time we see someone bent over and oppressed, we don't think, well, is this the judgment from God? We don't think that's none of our business. We don't think we don't know the whole story. We set those people free. We pronounce words of mercy and forgiveness and life over those people. And we don't let any other commitments keep us from being Christ. Be Christ. I'll end with this story. So there was a a professor in Germany who did an exercise with his class in which he assigned the students identities. He gave them a slip of paper with an identity of a Nazi leader on them and told them to get in line, to to read their identity, and then line up in order of the people most responsible for killing Anne Frank. And he had executioners on there, he had Hitler on there, he had Himmler on there, he had the the commandants of the killing fields on there, of of the concentration camps on there. And you know who was at the front of the line? It was a woman who had a slip of paper that referred to a pastor who talked about the evils that the Jews were doing and how God's judgment was coming against them. And she went to the front of the line and she wouldn't let anyone get in front of her. Because at the end of the day, we're the people who have God alive in us. We're the people that God has asked to collaborate with him. And the injustice that happens in the world is ultimately about whether or not we will do something about it. It's not Hitler or Himmler or the concentration camp commandant. It's not the soldier or the executioner. It's you and me. We have the gospel. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We know what God wants to do in the world. He wants to bring peace and justice. He wants to bring his goodness to bear. Let's join in him in doing it.
Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the chance to repent, the call to turn from the ways of the world and to join you in resisting evil. God, I pray for boldness for all of us, confidence in you to know that you are not doing evil and you call us to fight evil with you. We have to do it in ways that are true to who you are. We can't fight evil with evil. We can't kill the fox by being a fox. We have to be hens. But as hens, we can gather as many people under our wings and even if we are killed for it, we know you're a God who raises the dead. God, help us to identify the trees around us who need our, inter- need our intervention, need our intercession, need us to step in and protect them, need us to be the manure on them. God, help us to see the women and men who are bent over under a spirit of oppression. Help us to set them free. God, I pray that today as we leave here, we will all feel the weight of responsibility given to us because we're your disciples, because we're your children, we're your friends. You're not a God who does evil. In you, there is no darkness at all. You don't lie to bring about the truth. You don't destroy to bring about life. You're a God of goodness and mercy and peace and justice. Let us be that people too. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.